0: You are listening to Change Agents, conversations with human rights advocates. I am Steve Wester, the host of Change Agents. We will be discussing hate crimes in America. My guests are Nadia Aziz and Don Collins. Nadia is the Senior Program Director for Fighting Hate and Bias with the Leadership Conference on Civil Human Rights. The Leadership Conference has worked on civil rights issues for many, many years. Don became a civil rights advocate uh, maybe before, but certainly after her and her husband's son, Richard Collins III, was murdered by a white, violent supremacist. Richard and his parents are Black. Richard had just received his commission as a second lieutenant in the Army before his death. We will discuss hate crimes. are they increasing? Can we reduce them them? We will discuss issues that um, victims of hate crimes have to deal with, and also to talk about prevention. Uh, I have been working for thirty years first time prosecuting and um now for a longer period of time, kind of focusing on the prevention. Uh, Don, I'm sorry for, um, for you and um, your husband and your other relatives about
1: um, Richard's death. Thank you so very much um, for those sentiments, Steve. Um, I will say we are gracious to receive that, but I want the world to know that the world lost something when Richard was murdered. As I explained to you before, Richard was ready to give his life for this country. and. I often tell people the day of his commissioning, when he took that oath of office, was one of the happiest days of his life. He said, Mom, I made it. And I'm going to be the best of the best. And I believed him. Uh, he was a paratrooper. He had earned his wings. Um, so he was thrilled to serve this country. And it had nothing to do with the melanin in his skin. He considered it a calling to be an officer in the United States Army.
2: From, um,
0: from reading some of the press accounts of this, I, I, felt I, uh, I felt a significant part of what you just said. That, um, he was remarkable as a boy. He was remarkable as a man, and that was a great loss to the country. Absolutely. Um, Nadia, maybe you can, um, uh, talk about uh, what you do at. Uh, the Leadership
3: Conference on Human Rights. Sure, and thank you for having me, Steve. And Dawn, it's always wonderful to be with you. Um, So at the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, I help run the Fighting Hate and Bias program. And this is a program that's dedicated to fighting hate incidents and hate crimes, um, improving hate crime data collection and reporting, and really making sure we're centering the voices of survivors and directly impacted communities in everything we do. And so we have been very busy. Um, In fact, we're preparing for the data 2021 hate crime data release, which we are expecting this fall from the FBI. Um, But I mean, there has been an increase in hate crimes over the past several years. And in fact, 2020, uh, the FBI data from 2020 showed the highest number of hate crimes since 2001. Um, So there's certainly a lot of work to do, um, and we keep busy, but it's people like Dawn, her husband, Richard, and their son, Lieutenant Collins, that um, keep us inspired.
0: Thank you. Um, So what is a hate crime? And uh, let me just start. When was the first hate crime?
3: Am I being quizzed? (laughs) The first hate crime law, I believe, I consider the KKK of, I believe it was 1871 to be the first hate crime law, uh, first federal hate crime law. And that was created after the Civil War to try and rein in some of the white supremacist violence, specifically in South Carolina. Um, There was a lot of anti-Black violence um, trying to prevent the Reconstruction era amendments from really being... Um, fully recognized. So hate crime laws have been around for a very long time. Um, And a hate crime is essentially a crime against um, a person or property that's motivated in whole or in part, and that's an important fact there, in whole or in part, uh, by a perpetrator's bias against uh, race, religion, color, national origin, um, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, or disability. And those are the federal categories. I think I got them all. Um, but of course, state hate crime laws can vary significantly from having no hate crime law um, to having different protected categories.
0: Um, something tells me you've um uh, said talk, talked about this before like that.
3: A couple times. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> that, that was incredibly um uh, succinct. So um, I want to come back to talk about what you're doing a bit more, but uh, one of the things that's been interesting in in uh, doing these interviews with human rights and civil rights advocates was I started asking them, um, "When did you know you wanted to be a um, to be doing this work?" Um, I've had Uh, two or three at this point who knew when they were five and uh, several in middle school and some in high school and then some later. Uh, Where would you fit in that?
3: I believe specifically human rights. I think I was in seventh or eighth grade, Um, but I was always interested in trying to make the world a better place for as long as I can remember. I remember I wrote a letter to President Clinton when I was in maybe third grade <laughs> Um, me <laughs> what I could do to help. Did you um, get a letter back? I did get a letter back, yes. <laughs> I wish I still had it, but I don't. It came with a picture. Um, but I. this has been something that's been an interest for a long time. So I feel very fortunate that I'm actually able to do this work.
0: Um, thank you. I, I was ten um, sitting on the uh, on the couch with my mother watching um, the civil rights movement with the tremendous violence being directed at um, black people and also um, from white people coming to to work and um it just uh, took me a little longer to to, to, to get back to it um, so can, can you talk can you talk about um, in perhaps one particular um, effort that you are focusing on and um, how you are trying to to deal with it either at the federal level, the state level or both
3: Sure. One thing that has come up more over the past couple of um, administrations has really been sort of this merging of national security and civil rights. And it's really important that we keep hate crimes in the civil rights space. Um, And the reason for this is, you know, when we talk about national security, it's language like domestic terrorism, Hate crimes are the original domestic terrorism. Attorney General Loretta Lynch actually stated that after touring the 16th Street Baptist Church in 2015. Um, But if you respond with policies and programs um, that are within the national security framework, those are policies and programs that have historically harmed communities of color and religious minorities. And so it's really important that we keep hate crimes in the civil rights arena. And I mentioned earlier that the first hate crime law, I believe, was uh, passed in 1871. Um, Domestic terrorism wasn't defined until after the terrorist attacks of September 11th. So DOJ, in many ways, was created to respond to white supremacist violence that has been um, targeting communities since before our country's founding. So we really are trying to focus on increasing the capacity uh, for example, the Civil Rights Division, um, so that when there's an increase in hate crimes like we've been seeing, their capacity is increased to meet that um, challenge.
0: You know, I, I think it's it's really important to talk about, um, about hate crimes beginning um, right after the Civil War, um, because there have been um, you know, doing this work and um, um, going back several decades, um, you know, people would say, "Well, this is just a um, just sort of a fad that people are doing." You know, um, no, this is this is very much um, an effort that tries to address the violence that has been directed primarily in earlier times with Black people and now um, with other groups as well. Um, So can you explain um, who investigates hate crimes?
3: Sure, so federal hate crimes are investigated by the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI. Um, but most hate crimes are actually prosecuted at the state levels. So, you know, the local law enforcement agencies would be the ones that respond. And if they need support, if it's an extra complex case, of course, the FBI can offer, offer support in that way. But the vast majority of them are prosecuted at the local level. And then the feds will step in sort of in extraordinary circumstances.
0: And, um, sort of think, looking across um, the country, um, are police and prosecutors, uh, for the most part, focusing on this, or does it really depend where you are?
3: I think it depends. Um, One of the things I've actually been doing with um, Dawn and her husband, uh, Rick, and some of our um, other good friends have been to train law enforcement officers and prosecutors on both identifying bias and um, investigative strategies, for example. And so we're trying to raise more awareness about this. I think, um, you know, like like you mentioned, hate crimes have been around for a very long time. And I think, especially under the previous administration, um, it seemed like kind of the, the societal talking points were that it was a political thing. Oh, people are talking about an increase in hate crimes because um, President Trump is in office or, you know. And the reality is hate crimes didn't start with Trump. Um, they didn't start with Obama. They've been around for a very long time. They did get worse under President Trump. So we
2: just
3: share the you're... importance and the significance and um, really just raise more awareness about that
0: history. Uh, in my experience, I found police officers um, were, were more likely to take a, a strong interest in this than prosecutors. Um, and I think one of the reasons for that is um, it's, you know, you're, you're working with a detective who um, uh, is sitting with a family that has been torn apart. And uh, um, and for for the prosecutor, um, it's adding um, a hate crime um, charge. Um, just creates something harder to do. Uh, but no matter how hard it is, it's critically important. Does that make sense?
3: Yes, and I think that's why it's so important that we make sure everyone, including prosecutors, hear the stories um, of those directly impacted, like the story of the Collins family.
0: Oh, thank you. Um, You are listening to Change Agents, Conversations with Human Rights Advocates. I'm Steve Wessler, the host of Change Agents. Uh, We are discussing hate crimes in America. My guests are Nadia Aziz and Don Collins. Nadia is the Senior Program Director for Fighting Hate and Bias with the Leadership Conference on Civil Rights and Human Rights. Don became a civil rights advocate, or perhaps a more intensive civil rights advocate, after her and her husband's sons, Richard Collins III, was murdered by a white violent supremacist. Richard and his parents are Black. Richard had just received his commission as a second lieutenant in the Army. We will be discussing a number of issues around hate crimes. Um, Don, um, would you start by telling us a little bit about about Richard um, you know what was he like as a child? What, um, what, what was it that brought him to join the military?
1: Uh, thank you for asking those questions, Steve. I'd be happy to speak about Richard. Um, now, something I will say, Steve, I call him Richard, but I am very adamant with that the world calls him Lieutenant Collins, and I'll explain why um, I'm saying that. Um, Richard. Didn't know a stranger. He loved people. He had the trajectory of going into the military at a very early age. Richard would have been third generation military. Richard's father served as well as his grandfather. And my father served as a, as a police officer for NYPD. So you can say it was kind of in his blood. <laughs> That's what he wanted to do. He believed in the ideals. Richard was the type of child that if he'd go to a playground and there was no one playing, he'd be the one saying, hey, kid, you want to play? didn't care who the kid was. It was, do you want to play? Um, so. As I first stated to you, one of the happiest days of his life was when he became a commissioned officer in the United States military. Uh, and he was just delighted i remember saying to him that night when he went out please son be careful and um his his reply to me is mom don't worry i have too much to lose i know what i have planned so he knew he knew that and steve I often tell people what happened to Richard was so egregious that it happened on a university's campus. The university is a place that you go to open your mind, to learn different things, to be amongst different people and experience different ideas. And to have this individual take my son's life at an institution of higher learning, is it was unbelievable to us. And As I said in my closing remarks for that court hearing, my son's life was taken away because he refused to bow down to a white man. He committed the sins of saying, no, I know who I am. He didn't say, I know who I am. He just said, no. And that's what I call this monster took a knife out or had the knife out and plunged it into his chest and hit his A-water, and he bled out on the street of the University of Maryland College Park.
2: Uh, it's it's an, an awful story. And, um, and it's so important that,
0: um, that we're talking about this. Um, and I think it's important for people to know that um, that hate crime murders is, happen far too much but but also that there is a is a range of hate crimes from um, from uh, people threatening um, somebody to um, people who are um, um, physically hurting somebody but but not to the level of of serious violence, but goes all all the way up, and I think we'll sort of come back and talk about sort of all those levels because they are all important
2: um, um So
0: what happened was that the the Maryland prosecutor treated this as a hate crime as well as a a murder. Uh, The Justice Department um, uh, simply didn't investigate it, um, or at least formally investigate it. for really, um, either of you, um, we're, we're, and at the at the end of the trial, um, the the judge uh, declared that there was not enough evidence for a hate crime conviction. But um, but um, the man who killed your um, your son was, is going to be um, in prison um, uh, sort of for the rest of his life, except there's sort an of ability to get out on um, parole in some way.
1: That's um, correct, Steve. Um, in the state of Maryland, uh, if the judge does not say, um parole for life excuse me, convicted for life if he does not say that, then yes, the defendant can come up for parole. and as you first stated in the state of Maryland, the law was such that hate had to be the sole reason. and Steve you being a prosecutor and Nadia being a lawyer, you know there's nothing in life that's the sole reason that you do something. uh fortunate for us, Well, unfortunate for us, that was the law at the time, that hate had to be the sole reason. After that, we lobbied with great people like Nadia and changed that law. Now the law states that hate can be in in part of, which um, this monster had things on his phone. He had... Uh, like uh, an Alt-Right Nation Facebook page. So uh, we are glad for that. And prayerfully, no other parent will have to uh, experience the dismay and the heartbreak that my husband and I face every day.
0: Thank you. Um, Nadia, can you talk a little more about the importance of the um, Other legislation, which I believe is the um, um, second lieutenant um, um, um,
2: and then his name has
0: the name of the legislation.
3: Yes, absolutely. Um, it was a it was a devastating day when the judge uh, dismissed the hate crime charge at trial. Um, but under you know Maryland's law at the time, he determined that there wasn't enough evidence to meet that threshold. Um, that being said, that was why when I gave the definition of a hate crime earlier in the show, I mentioned in whole or in part, because whether something is motivated in whole or in part by bias, uh, the effect is the same, the impact is the same. And so it was really important that the Collins family and just incredibly remarkable that they did this, um, lobbied the Maryland legislature to close that loophole. So, you know, the next time a hate crime charge is brought before court in Maryland, um, the, you know, it's easier to, a little more easier for um, prosecutors to hold perpetrators accountable um, in whole or in part can make a significant difference as we saw in this case. And um, it's one of the things that there is a movement to try and legislate that at the federal level. Um, you know, to legislate around some case law that came out that might interpret the but for uh, clause of the Shepherd Bird Act um, to be more similar to how Maryland's law is interpreted. But um, it is something that can make a very big impact. Um, and so
2: we're really inspired. We are getting frozen at times here. Okay, back. Um,
0: what was? What was? Has always been you know, interesting to me about. Um, trying to, to have um, to say that there's only one motive um, we rarely do something for only one motive um, and it needs to be a substantial motive but it's um it's uh I'm really glad that this has um, this has changed um, uh, i I want to read um uh, from uh, one of the articles that came out after um your your son's death and uh, this was from uh, the police chief in uh, um in the um university of um Maryland Um, police department and uh, he um, looked at the um, the information that uh, the man who killed uh, um, Richard and here's what he he said, when I looked at the information on the website, suffice it to say that it is despicable. It shows extreme bias against women, Latinos, Jews, and especially African-Americans. Um, um, when, when, you, when you have um, somebody who, as I understand it, did not... Um, suggest that there was any other I mean my guess is he did not come take he didn't come Come, um, the de- defendant did not come to speak he wasn't cross-examined is that correct or correct okay um so but you still have a really strong information that uh people, unfortunately, can get lost in the far-right, um, racist kind of world.
2: And um,
0: so... You are speaking, listening to Change Agents conversations with human rights advocates. I'm Steve Wessler, the host of Change Agents. I will be discussing hate crimes in America. My guests are Nadia Aziz and Don Collins. Uh, Nadia is the senior program director for fighting hate and bias with the Leadership Conference on Civil Rights. Don became a civil rights advocate, or probably more likely, became a more intense advocate after her and her husband's um, sons, um, uh, sons, um, lieutenant Richard Collins, the third, was murdered by a white, violent su- supremacist. Um, Richard and his parents were black. Um, Richard had just received his commission as a second lieutenant in the army before his death. So I, I want to come back come um, to either of you to talk about the impact of hate crimes. Um, I know in the work that I've done, I've seen people come um, um, life deteriorate from having a threat um, uh, without violence and certainly without taking a life. Um, so um, either of you want to talk about um, uh, the impact of of Hagrams on its victims, as well as going out with um, sort of a larger circle and circle as to who is being impacted.
1: Well, Steve, if I may, um, I can speak personally of what it does to, Myself and my husband, you're constantly looking over your shoulder because you don't know who the perpetrators are of the hate crime. That's what is done through our household and our family. But also, I will add that this crime was committed on the campus of the flagship university for the state of Maryland. So it devastated all the students, the student body, the professors, all of those associated with that university. And then my son had just graduated from Bowie State University, which is a historically Black university in the state of Maryland. It affected the individuals at that campus as well. My son had taken the oath to serve this country. As I forestated, the country lost because he was willing to put his life on the line for this country. And In the oath he took, it states that he was going to defend this country from all acts of terror, and that was foreign and domestic. And in my peer of view, it was a domestic terrorist that took my son's life. So I say to you that it was not just done to the Collins family. It was done to the United States of America. It took one of their own. the the sentinel of this country, someone that was standing and watching guard over this country. That's what the hate crime did.
3: Thank you. And and Steve, uh, if I may add, um, I mean, it doesn't, you just have to read the story of Lieutenant Collins or hear Don or Richard speak to really understand the impact. And I've asked Don before, you know, what does the impact have on you? And she says, you say the word impact, but in reality, it flipped my whole life upside down. And one of the things that I think is important to recognize is that, you know, while a hate crime may target an individual, like Don said, it impacts entire communities. And one thing about hate crimes that's different from other crimes is that um, there can be, you know, yes, there can be physical, mental, emotional injuries, There can also also be behavioral injuries and behavioral changes. Um, Someone can withdraw. They might be more likely to engage in civic life, um, things like that. And so it's it's really important that we understand that hate hurts, and in many
2: ways, hate hurts more.
1: Absolutely. And I just want to add to this, Steve. Again, I've been able to speak with many survivors of hate, and every one of them, I can say, when their loved one was taken away, their lives changed forever. Okay. They are no longer the same person. And so this, these adages of this time will heal all wounds" no, not when it happens with hate. You learn, you try and learn to deal with it, but your life is no longer the same. And
0: I think one of the reasons for that is that um, there's always the possibility that it can happen again. Um, uh, you, you you aren't being targeted um, in most hate crimes but because of something personal. Sometimes that's the case, but not not usually. Um, it's because of something that that is part of you that you are proud of, um, but you also know that it puts you puts you at risk. You know, I I, I think about um, the um, the awful shooting in in South Carolina of. Um, of black people in a um, in their in their church, and I think it was um, what you know nine out of ten or something. Uh, one one did not die. Um, um, how how do you prevent yourself?
1: I I cannot answer that. I'm not a social scientist or a psychologist. But one of the things I, I do believe in that people need to take responsibility for themselves and not blame the other for their own misfortune. Um, the idea that I'm not succeeding because the other, whatever that other is, is an idea that I find ludicrous. Be responsible for your actions. And not blame the other. It's really important. I think we're going to get to
0: that uh, when we talk about prevention in a a little bit. Uh, Nadia, did you have something? Yeah, I
3: mean, you mentioned, I wanted to try and connect two two things very quickly. Um, You mentioned one thing about hate crimes is that there's always the fear that it can happen again. And... Then you also mentioned the Mother Emanuel shooting in Charleston, South Carolina. And when we saw recently in May uh, 14th of this year, the shooting at the Buffalo supermarket in New York um, that took the lives of so many people, that was a copycat crime. And one thing that's really important in terms of trying to make sure these things don't happen as often as they do is how we talk about them. So we've been very deliberate in our conversation to not say the perpetrator's name. One of the things um, that we have done at the leadership conference is outreach to technology platforms about, you know, the Buffalo massacre was live streamed for a period of time. And then the video circulated, essentially went viral. So we've been having conversations about um, uh, platform accountability. How do we make sure these types of things don't happen? Because- as we saw in Buffalo, a lot of these platforms can be exploited um, for this purpose. And a lot of these bad actors are seeking attention and seeking fame. So conversation around the survivors and directly impacted communities and really uplift our common humanity. I think that's a big part of countering um hate.
0: I, I think that's really important. Um. I, I think uh, probably everybody here knows of now um, several years ago when somebody in um, in New Zealand went and um, killed fifty four um, Muslims and to at two mosques, um, and he wrote a manifesto. Um, a year, maybe a year plus, um, uh, a man from the upper Midwest drove down to um, I think it's El Paso and um, uh, went into a uh, a Walmart that uh, was in a neighborhood where a, a significant number of Latinx people were. And uh, in his and and killed a large number of people, but wrote his own manifesto and tied it in to something that somebody did in New Zealand. Um, it's we're not just talking about what happens in the U.S. It's um, what happens elsewhere addresses what happens here.
3: Absolutely. And Steve, if I might add as well, if I may add one thing, you know, I say, I mentioned Buffalo as copycat. Um, I think there may have also been a manifesto of sorts, but none of these ideas are new. They have been around since the dawn of time itself. Um, But so has community and so has humanity. And so it's just really important that when we talk about our history, um, that we're acknowledging that pain and that suffering, um, and we can find a way to move forward together.
0: That's that's really important. Um, and on what really disturbs me is we have um, people in some parts of the country who are um, trying to say that, um anything about um civil rights anything about black people anything about LGBTQ people come um, is not allowed in school come um, how do we how do we learn when come um, when people are trying to censor s- such important things?
1: I would say then you stymie the healing process um I, my analogy for that, if there is a boil, it has to be lanced and the truth has to be told. And same thing with with eight. Truth has to be told. We have to deal with it. Um, I'm, I'm adamant about that. I'm an American. This is my country. This is the country that I was born in. I am a citizen of this country. And because I have melanin in my skin does not make me less than. And no one has the right to think that.
0: Thank you. Um well let's let's transition to um before we get to prevention to talk about response. I know when uh I was um, uh, directing the Civil Rights Union and, and the Attorney General's office in my um, state that dealt with hate crimes, um, but also when I was uh, running a an organization that was trying to prevent hate, uh, we would, anytime there was a hate crime, uh, we would try and we were most often effective to bring people together, just mm-hmm. to say, come, um, this, come, um, to support the people who've been targeted, and also to make it clear that um, that this is for all of us. Uh, we, we don't want just Black people to come to a um, a demonstration relating to um, a hate crime about Black people. The same with Jewish. We we need to be together. Thoughts about that?
3: I think, you know, you see so many incredibly moving things when communities come together. I think the big key is trying to make sure we come together before something like this happens. Um, and part of it is very healing um, to see communities come together. Pittsburgh, I mean, there's an amazing documentary about the Pittsburgh response um, called Repairing the World that Not in Our Town um, did, and I would highly recommend it. But what it does is it shows how the community came together across religions, races, you know, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, disability, everything to really say um, hate has no home here and to stand together in solidarity. And I think There's so much power in that, in that it, it always reminds me that love is in fact stronger than hate. Um, I think we just need to all collectively do a better job of showing that, um, constantly and not just waiting, you know, not just remembering after something awful happens, but showing up for each other, um, every day of the week.
1: Um, Don, any thoughts?
3: Yeah. I agree
1: um, if 100%. Uh, and because of what Rick and I have experienced, there is not just Black people that rallied with us, uh, people from the Jewish community, organizations like ADL, uh, SPLC, the lawyers commit. The, all of these communities together saying enough is enough. And I truly believe, Steve, there are more of us than them. But we have to make sure that our voice is louder. And as Nadia first stated, I do believe that love is far more significant and powerful than hate. Sometimes we, we don't see that often. But I just know how uh, people like Nadia came into our Prairie View, um, and she's been here from the beginning and still here and championing and help championing our cause. I will also add to this. um, I am very good friends with Susan Brough, and you may ask who Susan Brough is. Susan Brough is the mother of Heather Heyer, the young woman that was killed in Charlottesville. And Susan and I speak often. As I tell people often, Susan gets me. She understands we are mothers with broken hearts.
2: That's uh, very powerful. Thank you. So uh,
0: I'd I'd like us to talk to, um, about prevention, I think I think it's critically important what um, Nadia and then Tom you said about um, being to, to um, bringing us all together. Um, but uh, but there's also trying to bring in people who may have biases that they're not aware of, or um, to try to Reduce the risk of degrading language that starts to um, escalate from language to uh, to violence. Uh, is are there any things going on um, through um, the leadership conference or? Um, I know ADL does a lot of this work. Um,
3: yeah, one thing, one thing I always try to highlight are some local best practices. Um, and local communities are best positioned to respond because they know their communities best and they know um, how to meet the unique needs of individuals targeted by hate. But some of the things that I've seen that have been proactive um, in terms of, I like speaking in terms of building community, not just preventing hate, because to me, building community, if you do it right, will, you'll see fewer hate crimes. Um, but one of the, some of the things I've seen have just been very proactive um, events hosted by municipalities where you bring together multicultural groups, so whether it's an international, fair where you're showcasing different foods and cultures um, or a teach-in, for example. One thing you mentioned that it's hard to bring in people with, it can be hard to bring in people with biases. You just have to create enough opportunities um, for an entry point um, to make individuals feel like part of the community, to let people get, provide an opportunity for individuals to get to know their neighbors. Because if you get to know each other, you are far less likely hate each other um, and so I think just creating opportunities for you know robust civic engagement I would consider it our um, wonderful you know wonderful community building exercises there've also been really fascinating um communities that have done for example tours of local minority- owned businesses for example or immigrant- owned restaurants things like that that can really be supportive and build community, um, and, of course, there's just public education in general and the education system. We need to make sure um, that we're having honest conversations about our history in order to actually address it.
1: So, you, so Steve, uh, I want to ask, add to that in our area, what we've done under uh, our foundation is having the two universities that were affected by this come together. It's called the Social Justice Alliance and this is done with the University of Maryland College Park and Bowie State uh, University. It's the first of its kind in the nation, but we bring professors and students together and to discuss and come up with solutions for some of these things. So going forward, Rick and I are adamant about bringing communities together. It's critical. Um- some of the work
0: that um, I've done is to um, come. And the most recent has been um, focusing on trying to reduce bias, harassment, and the risk of violence toward um, immigrants, um, many of whom are, are Muslim. And we would um, really have done this over a period of, of years, we're not Not doing it right now. um, Where we would uh, bring in um, ten or twelve people who have uh, families have lived in the United States for a long time, and then a similar number um, to come come to two sessions each for two and a half hours. with a light dinner, um, t- talking about the stereotypes, defusing the stereotypes, um, having people um, talk about um, um, what's most important to them. Uh, and when you do that and you ask people to say, well, you know, what's the most thing, um, thing that you're um, – most important to you, it, it's it's family, it's community, um, it's education. It's, yeah. have you seen that kind of um, intensive work?
1: And, um, as I said to you, that's why I value my friendship with Susan. We didn't want anything any different than anyone else for our children. We wanted them to be successful. We loved them. And um, we were there for them. So when you come together, you find you don't want anything different for your family and your loved ones than I want for mine. And therefore, uh, there's that old adage of live and let live. So
0: one of the things, Nadia, were you going to say something?
3: Um, I was going to share. I believe there's, a, there's an organization in Selma, Alabama um, that I believe does similar work where they can bring communities together to break bread together and really start to build that foundation. It's the Selma Center for Nonviolence, Truth, and Reconciliation. And they do really, really amazing work similar to what you discussed, Steve.
0: Thank you. Um I think I'd like to get um if you can send me an email with the name of it that would be great
3: absolutely um, I'm happy
0: to so um we're this goes fast and we are coming to the end and i I'd like each of you in you know uh a minute and a half or so to say we're in a time where where people are at odds with each other uh, in a way that I can't remember. And so it makes things
2: harder. What is your hope that we can really
0: change the, the number of hate crimes, the number of uh, degrading comments—the number against the, the groups of people who are who are most targeted.
1: Well, Steve, for me, I think one of the things that I believe—if people would maybe just talk a little less and listen a little bit more—and um, bring down the temperature, the yelling, the screaming. There's something to being quiet and peaceful and not having to be the loudest one in the room
0: thank you it's um it's it's really important and and it's it's doable. we can do that not yet
3: Don stole mine <laughs> but and in, in all honesty though that's I mean, that was exactly what I was going to say. We just need to listen to each other more and leave our assumptions or biases, what have you, at the door. Just simply listen. And I think we could make a lot of progress.
0: Well, right now, for for me, uh, my, my optimism has just shot up from having the honor to speak with both of you. So thank you. Thank you for um, coming here. Um, And I am so glad that people will be able to be able to hear this. Um, You are listening to Change Agents Conversations with Human Rights Advocates. Um, I'm Steve Wessler. We have uh, discussed hate crime laws focusing on um, deadly crimes and um, men figuring out how to reduce those crimes. Um, My guests have been Nadia Aziz and Don Collins. Don and her husband's um, 23-year-old son was killed by a white violent supremacist. Um, They have advocated for more effective hate crimes and and one, uh, Nadia is the senior program director for fighting hate crime and bias with the Leadership Conference on Civil Rights and Human Rights. The Leadership Conference has worked on civil rights issues for many years. I want to thank you both for um, for your knowledge, for your ability to inspire others. Um,